You're listening to the Assembly Call IU podcast and postgame show, the place where Indiana fans across the globe hang out online after every IU basketball game. Join us for our live broadcasts on Thursday nights and immediately following every IU game at our website, assemblycall.com. That's assemblycall.com. Hey, the IU Illinois postgame show is coming right up, but first, a quick word from our sponsor, SeatGeek. As you know, getting tickets online can be far too complicated. There are hundreds of sites and varying levels of reliability, and that makes it hard to know who to trust. But that's why SeatGeek is the way to go. SeatGeek pulls millions of tickets into one place so you can easily find the seats you want for a price you're willing to pay. There's nothing quite like being there in person, and SeatGeek will get you closer to the action for a great value. SeatGeek is actually designed to make your ticket buying experience easier than ever. They search multiple ticket sites and grade every ticket based on value. So SeatGeek actually helps you identify the best seats that fit your budget immediately at a glance, whether you're using the app, whether you go to the website, whatever you're doing. And every purchase is fully guaranteed so you can shop for tickets on SeatGeek with confidence. Maybe you want to go see Romeo during his first and only go around in Big Ten play. Well, probably probably his only go around in Big Ten play. Or you want to see Jawan Morgan during his last go around in Big Ten play. SeatGeek is the place to go. If you're looking for tickets in Bloomington or at an opposing venue, they've got tickets to every IU game there and at great prices. I use the SeatGeek app. I have it on my phone. It's what I use for concert and sports tickets. That's why I can confidently recommend it to you. So give SeatGeek a try. And best of all, because you listen to the assembly call, you get $10 off your first SeatGeek purchase. So download the SeatGeek app, enter the promo code assembly today. That's promo code assembly for $10 off your first SeatGeek purchase. SeatGeek, life's an event. We have the tickets. And now here's the IU Illinois postgame show. Welcome, Hoosier fans, to another victorious episode of the Assembly Call as tonight your Indiana Hoosiers defeat the Illinois Fighting Illini 73-65 at Simon Scott Assembly Hall in the resumption of Big Ten play, and the Hoosiers are now 3-0 and in the Big Ten. This was a game that didn't start off great for the Hoosiers, another slow start, but they rebounded from that took control of the game and were then able to outlast Illinois there late despite kind of a furious little rally from the Illini but the Hoosiers made some free throws did what they needed to do and got out of here with another Big Ten victory I am your host Jared Morris I'm here with Andy Bottoms and Ryan Phillips and we will break it all down for you on this edition of the Assembly Call IU postgame show which is doubling as this week's edition of Assembly Call Radio since it is a Thursday night game and let's proceed now as we start every show and that is with our Hoosier proud banner moment and for tonight's banner moment I want to take you back to the beginning of the second half half about 16 minutes and 30 seconds to go Romeo Langford gets the ball drives into the lane spins get fouled makes it hits the free throw this completed a personal 8-0 run by Romeo to open up the half in fact he would score Indiana's first 10 points of the second half it took the lead or it was 32-32 at the half this gave Indiana the 8-10 to point lead that they would then basically nurse for the rest of the second half and really, Romeo kind of put it all on display in the second half. He was driving to the lane, was drawing contact, getting fouled, made a three-pointer, ends up scoring a career-high, I believe, 28 points in a game where in the first half, when the offense was really struggling, part of what got the Hoosiers back into the game was just giving it to Romeo and letting him go. 
And that was never more apparent than at the start of the second half when he just put Indiana on his back offensively, gave Indiana that big, that big lead. And we will obviously talk about that a lot more as we go through this show. Uh, one of Romeo's most impressive performances as a Hoosier on a night when without Rob Finnessy and with you know some other backcourt guys kind of struggling to get into the flow of the game, Indiana really needed someone to step up and Romeo was primed and ready to do so. Uh, and all of those points were very important. All right, tonight's Hoosier Proud banner moment brought to you, as always, by Hoosier Proud and Home Field. At homefieldapparel.com, you will find the comfiest and most unique licensed IU apparel anywhere. I've told you about the Tri-Blend sweatshirt and the old IU Bison logo that I love, but they also have many other sweatshirts and T-shirts with old IU logos that you can't find anywhere else. And at HoosierProud.com, you can still find great state of Indiana-themed apparel while sending 10% of your purchase to causes around Indiana, like the Julian Center for Empowering Survivors of Domestic Abuse. Both brands were started by an IU grad, and all Hoosier Proud and Homefield apparel is designed and printed out of Indianapolis. Find the perfect gift for the IU fan or the Indiana resident in your life at Homefield Apparel and HoosierProud.com, or get something for yourself. Get a brother, get some coupons. And don't forget to use the promo code ASSEMBLY at checkout for 15% off your order on either site. That's promo code ASSEMBLY at HoosierProud.com and HomeFieldApparel.com. All right, it is time to move the ball, find the open man, and get some thoughts from the rest of our team. And let's start with Andy Bottoms, your bottoms line on tonight's IU victory. Well, kudos to the officials for getting this one in uh, just a shade under an, a two-and-a-half-hour game. So well done on that tonight, fellas. Uh, but, uh, you know, I, I thought things really turned for IU in that, that's, that section that you mentioned. They really they, they had settled for a lot of threes during that stretch in the beginning of the first half. Uh, I think Juwan made the first one, and they missed seven in a row or something. Uh, something to that effect. And basically from that point forward, over the last, I think, 848, um, I wrote down of the first half, they didn't attempt a three-pointer and uh, not not coincidentally scored, I think, like 1.35 points per possession or something like that. And really over a stretch, um, you know, that end of half stretch and then the beginning of the second half, um, there was a, a, a section of 26 possessions. IU scored 36 points on those 26 possessions, 1.38 points per possession, and Illinois had 13. Um, so that was really the turning point where it, you know, IU really took control, did not think IU played well at the beginning. Uh, and then a, a little bit looked that way at the end, although, you know, some of that was Illinois just, you know, hurling the ball at the basket and, and a few of them going in, but, um, you know, I, I, another sluggish start, I thought they really missed Rob Finnessy, uh, and just kind of the steadying, you know, influence that he's been at the point guard position, um, where there were some times they just need to really settle in, understand what they were doing when, when they were playing well. Uh, I thought there were stretches where they didn't do that. Um, but overall, you know, 3-0 in the Big Ten, this was a game you, you couldn't afford to lose heading into a really tough stretch where you're playing a lot of road games. So um, in the sense that that they got the result that they needed, uh, a good thing. But I think, you know, still a few things to uh, to clean up for sure. And now it's time for Ryan's rant. Ryan, what's on your mind? You're muted. A, of course, a, I a joy for uh, all the listeners. Yeah, I was going to say, thank you. You guys must be really happy about that. Uh, first off, I want to thank Jared for sending me two sweatshirts for Christmas. One is the original assembly call logo sweatshirt, and the other was the bison sweatshirt that he talked about in the intro. Love them both. They're actually being washed right now, so I can. Re- this is the original assembly call sweatshirt, uh, the very first one that was made. And I'm thinking I might bring it uh, when we do our meetup this year, and uh, we'll wash it, clean it, and we'll give it away to a listener if you want to. <laughs> 
have it. It's it's falling you apart. You think someone wants your old sweatshirt? Why not? It's the original. We can all autograph it, and they can. Only it Ryan would think his old right. ratty sweatshirt is some kind uh, of collector's item for a listener. You see, I will see people in the comments if they want it, washed and clean, totally. Um, you know, symbol of the show. Uh, or I could just frame it, put it up here or something. You know, behind me. Or we could uh, talk about the game. It, we could do that. Uh, what I will say is I, you guys are talking about how it was a slow start. And I agree. It was a slow start. Uh, I will say, though, the offense, they were scoring points, though, which is new in their slow starts. Their slow starts have usually been give up 14 points and score four or something. They were really in it as far as scoring points. They wound up kind of slowing down. I believe at one point it was 25-15 or 23-13, something like that. And it, it, it just felt like they were off. But again, as we've seen with this team, they bounced back. I think a lot of that was a just coming back after a long layoff and getting back on the court. You kind of start, they kind of started slow for that. I, I know you, Jared, had said that, uh, that Archie Miller said he thought they'd start slow. And guess what? The man knows his team. They did. Uh, it, it also was them having to figure out how to survive without their starting point guard. And, and Devontae Green, I thought, did some good things in this game, but I thought also did some very bad things in this game, as we've come to expect from Devontae. He's just take, took, took some bad shots, had uh, four turnovers. But in, in general, if I'm looking at the overall, I thought this was a very positive game for IU because of how good the defense was for most of us. Andy said, Illinois made a run at the end. A couple of the shots they made, you'll take that every day of the week. If they're, they're going to make those shots and those are the shots they're going to take, that's fine. Um, some bounces went their way late uh, and they were able to get some putbacks and things like that. But in general, I thought IU really controlled the second half completely and played very well. Really the end of the first half through the second half. So really the last what uh, 30 minutes of the game 25 minutes of the game i you just i thought owned the game and uh were a couple you know uh, uh, were a couple made uh free throws from really blowing this open at one point and uh so i thought it was a solid game to return from particularly no students on campus it's the atmosphere isn't what it's going to be in a week or two and uh, i thought seeing romeo langford come off that layoff and really play like a team leader and play like a guy you can rely on something i think we've seen this year but it was never more clear than it was tonight uh really a solid win for indiana and get you to 3-0 in the big 10 and now you've kind of got a little bit of a cushion to play with over these next few weeks they just they had to win this game they absolutely had to we said we'd really like them to win their first three in conference when this started out They've done that. They've accomplished what they needed to accomplish. Now it gets tougher. We'll see how they handle these pressure situations coming up over the next few weeks. But they've really put themselves in a solid situation where you can have a loss and it not kill your chances to be in that top section of the Big Ten. Yeah, and look, this team may just not be cut out for you know dominating an opponent, especially at the Big Ten level. Because if you were going to do it, this was going to be you know one of your opportunities to do it. And this was probably a little bit closer than maybe some IU fans wanted. Although you know, without Rob Finnessy, this game kind of went like I thought it would. You know, for the most part. I mean, Indiana really struggled with with Illinois' pressure early on. But, you know, I, I want to talk about what we saw from Indiana offensively, because I think what we saw tonight may be what we'll start to see more of as we move forward this season. And that is playing through Romeo Langford. You know, you saw early in the first half, he got the ball at the top of the key one time and kind of subtly, you know, called Juwan Morgan over for a ball screen. And we saw a lot more ball screens for Romeo. We saw a lot. I mean, basically, he started out the second half just playing the point guard. And he was just taking it, and you know the lanes were open for him, so he was taking it all the way to the basket. Twenty-eight point six rebounds, you know, three assists, as I mentioned off the top, Andy. 
But, you know, we saw this at times in the Penn State game. We saw it certainly at the end of the Northwestern game that when kind of the chips were down and nothing was really working offensively and, you know, it wasn't necessarily a matchup where you could just dump it down to Juwan every single time. It was, let's give it to Romeo and let him go to work. And I have to think, you know, as we start to get into Big Ten play, we're going to start to see that more and more, especially with Rob out, because, you know, at the end of the day right now, you can't count on Devontae and Al to be offensive creators but Romeo is showing that that's a role that he's quite comfortable with. Yeah, I thought that was a big difference coming out of the locker room. Uh, you mentioned he scored the first 10 of the second half, and and it was really him, you know, kind of facilitating the offense. And, uh, you know, in some ways, he made some passes. Guys just didn't convert shots on the other end of. So I think his assist total could have been more. Um, but you also got the feeling that he could get to the basket really whenever he wanted to. And, and I think coaches saw that in the first half and really went that way. It was just making quicker decisions. I, I think one of the things with, with Devontae, at times you want to criticize him for playing too fast, which I think at some times is fair. But I also think that sometimes the over dribbling, then he's not making a quick decision. So it's kind of a weird, um, you know, weird mixture there where in some ways you think he's he's trying to do too much and play too fast. But in other ways, he's just not being decisive and saying, like, this is what I'm going to do. Versus Romeo was really decisive in those situations, just trying to get downhill and go toward the basket. So, I mean, part of that um, is Devontae's being asked to play in a way that isn't natural to him, and it's almost well, like you can see him true. thinking out there. You know? Yeah, yeah. So I think that I think that's part of it. I think they I think there's some work to do with some of these guys on these ball screens. They're not really using the screens that effectively. There's they're leaving space for the defenders to really get in between. Uh, maybe that's preventing IU from getting called for 11 moving screen calls in a in a game, which they had <laughs> issues with in the past, but. Um, I do think if they're going to do that more, it's something they need to shore up just a little bit so you can actually you know, use the screen a little bit better. But uh, yeah, overall, I thought that was a, a huge difference and really allowed IU to extend the lead, uh, build the lead and extend the lead early in the second half when they really took control of the game. Yeah, and you know, you look at this matchup coming up that Indiana has, Indiana has against Michigan, which again, you know, without Rob Finnessy, who's not expected to play, Michigan, one of the best defensive teams in the country. You know, I mean, Ryan, as you look at this, I mean, did what we... What we saw from Romeo tonight, do you think that, that we're going to start seeing that more and more with him you know, kind of running the offense through him? Well, I, I don't know about 20, you know, if he's going to wind up being as in control as, as he was in the second half of this one. But, I mean, I, I do expect a lot of one-on-one and, and a lot of pick and roll with him and Jawan Morgan. I expected that from the beginning of the season. But I think that when Rob Finnessy is in the game, the ball moves a little better than it did tonight. And it might be because a guy like Devontae Green, when he's in, is better coming off screens and coming up and uh, and receiving the ball and and more open. I I thought a lot, you know, and maybe this is Illinois' defense and the way they play and the high pressure they kind of put on. They made it really difficult for guys who were receiving passes. It, it, It was not you know, there were not wide open guys. There were guys who were open, but they weren't wide open. And I think in a situation like that, you've got to come to the ball more. And I use guys didn't. I thought a few of the turnovers we saw in this one from IU, you know, the turnover will go to the guy who threw the pass, but the guys who were receiving the pass weren't helping them out at all in a lot of situations. So I think that when it's a game like that, you have to do more one-on-one uh, on the ball stuff and you're not going to get as many assists and you're not going to move the ball as well when, when, you know, the pass receivers are covered uh, more uh, uh, tightly than usual. So I think you, in this game, you had a lot of things where it was going to be Romeo going one-on-one or Romeo getting a pick-and-roll, uh, pick-and-pop situation from these from his teammates. I'm not sure that's going to be the game plan for every game. We'll see. But it, it, you know, if you've got a guy that's effective as effective driving the ball as Romeo does, you've got to take advantage of that. And and the fact that he was 11 to 15 from the free throw line, shot free throws pretty darn well. Um, it, it, 
tells you that just getting him into the paint, getting him fouled and getting him touches where he can get into the paint and move and either finish or get fouled. uh, That's going to be a huge part of your offense moving forward, no matter what. So while I don't know if we'll see it exactly like this, where it's just sort of Romeo, get the ball at the top of the key. Somebody go set a screen for him and roll to the hoop. I I don't know if that's going to be the plan moving forward. I don't think so, but in certain situations, it has to be, if they're going to guard guys one-on-one like that, You've got to take advantage of the matchups the defense is giving you. And, and that was an adjustment in the second half that they went with. And they just said, look, we're going to put our best guy, our best on-the-ball scorer in one-on-one situations. How are you going to stop us? And they couldn't. And Illinois just couldn't stop them. And uh, one thing I said early was that Romeo rushed a couple threes early on. And I immediately said, and this was in the first half, I said, that's not his game. He needs to get to the hoop. That's that's where he is a master at finishing and and putting the ball in the hoop. And so uh, I just, I thought, I think I'm, I'm pretty sure Archie saw the same thing. And in the second half, that's what he did. He just attacked. And that was the right way to approach the game. Yeah, absolutely. All right, let's, uh, let's take a break here. Uh, coming up, as we continue our breakdown of Indiana's victory over Illinois, I will point out tonight's meaningful moment you might have missed. And then we will go inside the numbers to highlight the most important statistical notes from the game. You are listening to the Assembly Call. Stick with us. You are listening to the Assembly Call IU Postgame Show. I'm Jared Morse here with Andy Bottoms and Ryan Phillips, and we are breaking down Indiana's eight-point victory over the Illinois Fighting Illini as Big Ten play reopened in Bloomington tonight. It is now time for tonight's meaningful moment that you might have missed. I'll take you back to the first half for this one. With four and a half minutes to go in the first half, Illinois still had the lead. It was 27-19, to 19, and while our defense had improved you know, we had forced a couple of shot clock violations, really started to look more engaged on the defensive end than we did early on. We hadn't really been able to cut into their lead yet. And there was a particular sequence that really kind of got that going. Romeo got it on the left wing. Again, you know, the offensive surges really seemed to, to start with Romeo. He drove, absorbed contact, scored. There was no foul call, but he was still able to score. He got back on defense, then got a block on the other end, and quickly uh, the ball went up the court. Devontae took it, scored in the lane. That made it 27-23, and it was four really quick points that kind of seemed to, you know, get everybody going again. You know, there was obviously some unease in the arena at that point. You know, you could almost kind of uh, see it on the players a little bit. And I thought that that quick, you know, scoring stretch right there, Indiana then was obviously able to get it tied by the half and then open up that big lead in the second half. Uh, but Andy, as you kind of look back to the first half and what got, uh, you know, Indiana out of the doldrums and got them back in control of the game, you know, you mentioned it kind of started with the shot selection. And I thought, you know, that sequence, you know, Romeo took it, went to the basket. Devontae Green got it, took it, took it to the basket. Indiana really started to go to the basket more than settling for some of the longer shots that they had been earlier. And that helped to key that turnaround in the first half. Yeah, that that end run there toward of the half was was really important because just a few possessions later, Illinois makes a three, push the lead back up to I want to say five uh, at that point, and then IU scored on every possession. The lot, you know, Devonte had scored off a nice back cut. Al got a layup. Romeo went to the line, made one, and then Justin Smith had that putback. So, you know, that putback by the way was awesome. Kudos to Justin. It was Smith. Awesome. Everybody else, everybody else stopped playing, and he kept playing. He played well yeah. tonight, by the way. We, yeah. we got to talk about that. Yeah, I, I agree. I, I just thought that was a case where it's like, you know, sometimes you see teams make these little like mini runs to try to try to do it. Other team hits a hits a shot to kind of stem the tide and it, it that momentum uh, dies down. But even when Illinois made that three, I thought that was a, a big one where, you know, they had a nice cut to Devante that uh, 
got that going. They outscored them seven to two the remainder of the half and tied it up. And that really propelled them uh, in, into the second half. And I think, you know, as we talked about, that was really that aggressiveness of really trying to attack the basket got them to the free throw line where they shot a little bit better for a while, though, till down the stretch. I don't know if it was tired legs with really playing, you know, essentially five or six, you know, really maybe six guys, I guess. Um, you know, I thought the legs looked a little weary there at the end where they split, you know, a lot of uh, a lot of free throws toward the end. But really up until that point, I thought they'd shot pretty well from the free throw line. So I thought that was another, you know, positive. Just that attacking mentality getting to the basket it enabled them to get in foul trouble and they actually converted uh, for the most part. I mean, they ended up at 18 of 27 or no, 25 of 35 from the line for the game, 18 of 27 in the second half. But I think they missed, you know, probably four um, down the stretch that they, you know, split and, and things like that. So uh, overall, uh, a positive, but I agree that stretch was really important because it was, you know, really got them the momentum going into the break. And tonight's meaningful moment you might have missed brought to you by our friends and the IU fans at Comfort Option. You've heard me explain how Comfort Option's revolutionary mattress store to your door service works. It is amazing, which is why if you live in Indy or Bloomington, you really need to check it out and schedule a free in-home visit. But Comfort Option can help you improve your sleep no matter where in the U.S. you live. And they do this with their Alpha mattress, which they ship direct, cutting out the middleman and saving you money. And get this, they recently extended their 3090 satisfaction guarantee to the Alpha mattress. It used to just be for the in-home service, but now on any Alpha mattress you order, they give you 30 days to try it. And if you don't like it, they'll take the next 90 days to reconstruct it to your satisfaction. Still don't like it? They'll take it back and refund your money. So go to comfortoption.com and either order your Alpha mattress or schedule your in-home mattress store service today. And when you do it, use the promo code ASSEMBLY to get $50 off your purchase. You will also be helping to support the assembly call when you do that. So again, comfortoption.com and the promo code ASSEMBLY for $50 off. You know, one other, uh, Ryan, uh, moment that really stood out to me is in the second half, you know, obviously Illinois kind of, you know, made their little run and they would get it to four, kind of get it to six. And there was a great little uh, transition play by Indiana uh, that pushed the lead back out to 66-58. Juwan got it, uh, you know, passed the ball up to Romeo. He got it to Justin Smith. It was almost a charge, but he hit the layup. Uh, And this was meaningful for a couple of reasons. Number one, we actually scored in transition, which is not something that we do very often. Uh, And in fact, our ability in transition is really starting to become a concern. The last time I checked, we we were in the 22nd percentile in points per possession and transition opportunities. I can't imagine that's gotten better, but at least we scored on that one because it was important. And I thought, you know, Ryan, it was indicative of, you know, the way that Justin Smith was able to be opportunistic tonight. He had eight points. He was four or five from the field. He didn't force anything. He kind of took the shots that the game gave to him or that he created through his hustle. He had six offensive rebounds and, you know, to go along with three blocks and one steal. And I just thought tonight, he kind of did what we've been hoping he would do, really focused on playing defense, you know, being disruptive defensively, getting on the glass and hustling his way into points without trying to force it off the dribble. So I know his numbers won't jump out in the box score, but I was really impressed with what we saw from him tonight. And again, with Justin, we're trying to build to something with him, I think. And, and it's, yeah. we've got to get him in a position where he's comfortable before you get him in a position where he can excel. And I think that right now he's finding his comfort zone of being the opportunistic guy on offense, as you said, getting rebounds, mucking things up, and then you know blocking shots on defense, being right around uh, defenders and and everything. And and so I think that again, you want to see more from Justin Smith as the season goes along. But right now, it's looked like he's over the past few games and really past month or so has really found a comfort zone in this offense, and then found a comfort zone defensively, which I think he's had for a while. So, but he's not letting that offense affect his defense anymore, and he's not trying to do too much and and you know 
jump up to a level where oh he he's got to be the you know the the third scorer and all that stuff. No, he's just finding his way in this offense, and I think that that's really important. Uh, I thought it was a really good game from him, and I think it's worth noticing or worth mentioning from the stretch you just talked about the the meaningful moment that began that stretch. Illinois had three points in like the first eight minutes of the second half. I mean, the defense was phenomenal for Indiana's, and I don't think we can overlook that, what they were able to do. And you're right about transition. That's something that needs to get better, and I think part of that has to do with how you know up and down our point guard situation has been this year and the fact that there's been so many guys out well transition is there's a lot of chemistry involved with knowing where guys are going to be knowing you know the timing on passes knowing who can finish at the rim all that stuff and that's just been that was completely blown out of the water in early november so again it's weird to say it in early january but these guys are still getting used to playing together in the roles that they're playing together i mean Devonte green was originally supposed to be a starter on this team. He's that he's that's gone. Now he's back to being a starter. And then you've got Zach McRoberts who's been in and out of practice. You've got guys like Race Thompson and uh, now Rob Finnessy who've been in and out of practice. You've got Deron Davis who is clearly not. I mean, he, I don't know if he'll be back fully this year. Just from what we've seen, they can all affect the game and make positive impacts on the game. But in things like where you're running out in transition, and these are drills you practice a thousand times of practice. Those guys haven't been doing that because they haven't been healthy. And so you just it's it's a matter of getting these guys all on the same page. And it's just been such a tough thing. And I really I don't envy what Archie Miller and his coaches have had to do because they've been playing with a skeleton crew for it seems like two months now. And, and so that kind of stuff, there's really nothing you can do about it. Guys get injured. But when it's your key players being consistently injured and guys you were really relying on, that's that's a problem. Transition offense, a lot like hosting a live postgame show. You need the chemistry to do it. You need the chemistry. <laughs> um, so let's go inside the numbers, Andy. Uh, actually, before that, I've got to give some kudos to High Flyer 2X in the chat mob who said Romeo was the comfort option tonight. And that's just a great way to weave in an interesting point from the game with a sponsor mention. So kudos to you. We might have to create a new segment. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm feeling. Getting, I'm, why are you getting paid those this show? He clearly had the best line. I'm feeling Romeo is going to be the comfort option a lot this year. Uh, so let's go inside the numbers. And Ryan, to your point, I just saw this pop up on Twitter. Uh, so kudos to Alex Rue from the Big Ten Network. Indiana forced 21 turnovers and six shot clock violations in the win over Illinois tonight. The shot clock stat is a Hoosier record. And the defensive and many, turnaround really got going with a couple of shot clock violations. Like that. And how... How many times also, you know, you talk about the six shot clock violations, which were fantastic, but how many times was Illinois late in the clock and had to force a shot up that didn't, you know, that, that maybe hit the back of the rim or was a terrible shot? I mean, so there was probably about 10 possessions where they've got them right up against the clock, if not more. And that was really impressive from the from the, the defense. You know, when this team really locks in defensively, they are absolute dynamite. I think the one issue that's holding them back from being an elite defense is we can play that way for about 25, 30 minutes a game. We haven't yet unlocked being able to do it for 40 minutes. You know, a lot of times we'll struggle out of the gate and we'll have maybe like one stretch in the second half where we relax. We're not, it's like we don't quite know how to just put our foot on an opponent's throat defensively, but certainly progress and those six shot clock violations, a huge stat. Uh, Andy, what numbers jumped out to you? Yeah, I mean, kind of along the lines defensively, I'll start with that, you know, five blocks, 13 steals uh, over the course of the game for IU. So I thought those were really important. The, uh, you know, points off turnovers, IU had 22 points off the 21 turnovers. So I thought that was, um, you know, a positive, even though most of those, as you said, didn't really come in transition. Uh, that was certainly 
uh, a big factor. Uh, you know, the assist number was really low. There was a lot of um, a lot of one-on-one action. We talked about that a lot with Romeo, and and in some cases, I think that's what the defense gives you. I thought early in the game that was a function of IU not really moving the ball very well, and and really, you know, kind of sticking um, with Devontae in a number of cases, but. Uh, they did a little bit better than that second half. I think I had six assists in the second half. But again, I think that was somewhat a function uh, of the actual of the game itself. Uh, this will cert- game will certainly do wonders for IU's free throw rate. 35 free throw attempts, 48 field goal attempts. So that will uh, that'll jump up there pretty good. And as we said, they hit over 70%. Romeo is 11 of 15. So, uh, you know, that's a, a positive number uh, as you look through it there. Um, and I think the, you know, the other thing is you really had six guys play you know, only had six guys play over six minutes. Um, and part of that, I think, is a function of, of Rob Finnessy being out, obviously. Uh, you know, with Deron Davis and, and Evan Fitzner, you know, Davis plays five minutes. Uh, I thought he gave some good minutes in the second half. I think rolled his ankle. Uh, he didn't look like he was moving all that well. Yeah, he stepped on someone's foot, it looked Well, like. when the guy was dragging him to the ground, yes, I could see how he might have been. Uh, I, was that not a hook and hold on the drag to the ground? Anyway, um, so, <laughs> no, but I thought he gave some good minutes. You know, Fitzner had six minutes, didn't really do, didn't do much. Measy got in for a couple minutes. So I just thought, you know, and I mentioned this earlier, I thought a little bit that the depth was, you know, why maybe to your point, Jared, the defense, you know, couldn't quite sustain itself yeah. through through the end of the game as they let up a little bit. You just had a lot of guys uh, who had played a ton of minutes. But I did think um, individually, I thought, you know, McRoberts got back to doing some more of the, the hustle kinds of things that he uh, is used to miss both shots that he took, but you know, played 24 minutes, so it was a good boost to have him back. Um, but uh, yeah, I mean, and and to go back to the depth, only five bench points, and those all came from Duran. So depth issue kind of rearing its head a little bit there. But uh, you know, those are numbers that stood out to me. I don't know if there's anything else you saw. Well, I'll just say, you know, in in terms of McRoberts, another meaningful moment you might have missed. There was a play where he really hustled after a loose ball and forced a turnover kind of in the middle of the first half when it was still, when Illinois was still controlling the game and Indiana's defensive turnaround happened pretty soon after that, you know, and I think, you know, it's, you know, leave it to the guy who has the bad back, who's toughing it out, you know, to kind of lead the way with hustle, but that's what Zach McRoberts does. I think one thing you're noticing, if you watch him closely defensively, he's really struggling to change direction. So when guys get him going one direction and then cut the other way, they can shake him. You know, outside of that, I thought he was much more solid defensively and he was active. He forced steals. And good thing he did because we needed someone to step up off the bench, especially when Al Durham got his fourth foul. You know, McRoberts plays 24 minutes off the bench. Those were key minutes. And he's not going to bring you much offensively. But to your point, Andy, he did more Zach McRoberts things tonight that help you help you win a game like this. Uh, and we'll talk about the bench in the next segment a little bit more. Ryan, what other numbers jumped out to you? Well, I think it was the free throws, 25 at 35. Uh, but I thought that they closed well in the second half, hitting, uh, I think, what was it in the second half? 18 of 27. I know 66% isn't great, but they, as as Andy said, some guys look tired when they hit the line late. And I think there were some late misses that they'd like to have back. Uh, but in general, I thought they they made their free throws when they needed to and kept the the score a distance. But also... Just the fact that they were able to get 35, they were attack. That tells me they were attacking the hoop. They were attacking the ball. They were going after the ball because they, you know, it was a rare time they shot under 50 percent from the field. You know, this year, most of that was because early in the first half they missed a lot of shots, but uh, they wound up 11 to 22 in the second half, shooting 50 percent. So it, it just tells me that they were attacking. And and maybe they weren't hitting. I mean, I know Romeo's going to see that one in his nightmares, but he had a bunny late wide open and just missed it uh but they were getting that kind of shot all night and instead of 
maybe taking the easy way out and just launching threes, they really reined that in and only took four in the second half and really attacked the post and really attacked the paint. And and we've seen all year when they do that, they're very good. And and it tells me with the free throw numbers, that's what they were doing. And that that's why their shooting percentage went up in the second half. One more interesting stat, Illinois only 10 points off turnovers and Indiana turned it over 15 times. So that really shows you that Indiana did a good job of limiting the damage uh, that some of their turnovers created. All right, uh, coming up here on the assembly call, we continue our breakdown of Indiana's victory over Illinois. We need to talk a little bit more about Juwan Morgan, talk about the bench and Indiana struggles with depth. That is all coming up next here on the assembly call. Stick with us. You're listening to the Assembly Call IU Post Game Show. Catch us live immediately following every IU basketball game, plus every Thursday night at our website, assemblycall.com. And, of course, this edition of the Assembly Call doubling as a post game show and Assembly Call radio since there was a Thursday night game. And, by the way, while you're at our website, assemblycall.com, make sure that you sign up for our free IU Hoops email newsletter. Over 6,000 of your fellow IU fans are subscribed and it will make you a smarter and more well-informed IU basketball fan. I'm Jared Morris here with Andy Bottoms and Brian Phillips, and we are breaking down Indiana's eight-point victory over Illinois. So, you know, Ryan, let's talk a little bit about the depth. You know, one of the things coming into the season that we talked about was how deep this roster would be. And isn't it ironic that here we are at the start of Big Ten play, and depth is probably one of the biggest issues for this team? And there are two reasons for that. The first one is obvious just injuries. I mean, Rob Finnessy's out, you know, Jerome Hunter and Race Thompson, you know, two guys who, uh, you know, they've just been out for so long now. Uh, it's it's kind of easy to forget about them, but they were supposed to be rotation players. You've got Zach McRoberts, who's hobbled, Deron Davis, and every time he falls to the ground, the poor guy, it looks like he's got another serious injury. Part of that maybe is just, you know, fear on his part that, you know, that he's hurt again. But, you know, and then shoot, you see Juwan Morgan get hurt tonight and have to, you know, step out and your whole season flashes before your eyes. But the other thing is, you know, Indiana's not getting bench contributions from some guys that you need to. You know, Evan Fitzner is a guy that we were counting on more from, certainly at this point in the season. And, you know, while Demise Anderson, not a lot was expected of him at the beginning of the year, you know, he's earned enough time now that you would expect a little bit more, you know, and in a game like this, you know, he's going to struggle a little bit. But, you know, at, at some point, you know, it's great that Indiana is able to win a game like this with guys playing so many minutes. But I think that was a great point, Andy, that you made that you can't expect elite level defense from guys maybe when they're playing 36, 37, 38 minutes and having to carry such a, a heavy load offensively. So what can Indiana do besides the obvious of just get healthy to find a little bit more stability with their bench, with their depth? I mean, it's that's what it's got to be is get healthy, because if you look at their bench, their bench has the next guys off the bench all year have been Clifton Moore and Jake Forrester, who are big guys, where they need the help as a guard. And that's where Rob Finnessy has been to be the guy that helps you. Oh, and Jake Forrester was in a boot tonight, by the way. Oh, it's just more. I don't don't see why he wouldn't be. See, somebody in West Lafayette really needs to ease up on the Indiana voodoo doll they've got. Just ease up for a week, please. Just let us get back to normal. Don't give Uh, them that much credit. I'm just saying. uh, But... Uh, no, I, I just, it, it is. It's just that there's really nothing they can do because the depth they have isn't at the right spots unless you're going to go out and play VJ Blackman. I mean, the spots they need help at are the guard spots. And you can keep pushing Deron Davis to get healthier and get into game shape. But as you mentioned, it seems like every game at one point or another, he looks stiff because he fell down weird. And 
uh, and and looks hobbled. Fitzner, on the other hand, needs to start getting open. Uh, he's a guy who can shoot. We know he can shoot. He hasn't shot well lately, but he needs he needs more game experience. And, and he needs more experience stepping out and making shots. We've seen him do some nice things this year. He needs to get involved. I don't know how to do it, but he needs to get involved, and his teammates need to help get him involved. Um, as for the rest of the bench, I mean, obviously when Rob Finnessy comes back, that strengthens it because you get Devontae Green as a playmaker on the second unit, but really right now there is no second unit. It's the first unit with two or three guys rotating in. So losing Jerome Hunter was a big blow because you, if you thought you were going to have a 10-man rotation or something like that, but uh, that's just not happening. And as far as Demise Anderson goes, he's got to be able to move his feet better on defense. He's got to be able to hold his release on his finish, uh, on his shot. And and he's got to be able to, you know, move the ball on offense and not just take a shot as soon as he gets the ball, which is a lot of what we've seen from him is he just catches it and fires a shot. So I, I would say that these guys just need to get more integrated into the team concept because it doesn't seem like they are. It seems like they're sort of, good at working on individual things but you know evan fistner's got to be able to pick and pop and he's got to be able to move without the ball and he's got to be able to find open spots and not sort of get in people's way when he's out there you're seeing them use he and deron davis a lot together because clearly deron davis is the post guy of the two of them and maybe you can spread the floor and get davis more touches inside uh, but they've got to learn to work to better together, I think. And and as far as Deron Davis goes, every time he's in there, he looks like he can dominate on the post. It's just how many minutes can he actually play? And so I think that that's really important is for him to be able to stretch himself out a little bit. And that's something we probably didn't think we needed about six weeks ago. Now it looks like they really need that off the yeah. bench. They need somebody to go to. And so it's, I mean, it's hard to tell a guy who's been injured that it's time for him to, you know, start taking over. But at times he's going to have to in the second half of the season. Andy, let's talk a little bit about the night for Juwan Morgan, obviously coming off his big triple-double. Uh, you know, this wasn't a vintage Juwan Morgan performance, 15 points, 10 rebounds, a double-double pretty good, but only four of nine from the field. So, you know, he wasn't as efficient as you've seen. He didn't have any assists. I mean, there just weren't the opportunities for him to get the ball in the post like you normally see. It just wasn't that kind of game. Um, you know, but the four steals, the block... What I thought was really interesting from Juwan is defensively, I didn't think he was great to start out, you know, like all the guys. And he really got abused when I don't even want to try and pronounce the big guy's name, but when they got him on the block, you know, he really got abused. And, and look, part of that is, especially early in games, Juwan just isn't going to commit fouls. And we have to live with him giving up some easy baskets to keep him on the floor. Thank the Lord. Yeah. Well, but I'll tell you what I thought Juwan did really well tonight was defend guys who drove into the lane because he used his body really well, you know, going straight up, but he forced the Illinois guys to jump into him and create the contact so he didn't get called for fouls. And he had active hands while he was doing it. So, you know, he I know he, you know, I said four steals in a block, but he had plenty more deflections than that. I mean, he was able to be disruptive. And, at you know, in the times when Indiana's defense was really playing well, I thought, as he usually does, Juwan kind of keyed it. And I thought he did a nice job overall on the glass. So this was obviously a game where Romeo was the star and took over the load offensively. But when Indiana was playing well, Juwan Morgan, I thought, was doing a lot of little things that really helped keep those runs going. You're muted, Andy. Point the mic toward your faces, Ryan says. There you go. Point the mic toward your face and turn it on. Good job. Uh, you know, I, I thought rebounding-wise, I mean, he and, and I think Raftery was mentioning this on the on the broadcast, I mean, every key rebound down the stretch he got. Um, and I think that, you know, so the rebounds were timely, uh, if nothing else. It's been certainly good to see him get a double-double. And I thought in, in a game where there was a lot of one-on-one -on -one play that was really generating 
offense. I don't know that that's necessarily a game where he's going to uh, he's going to be able to excel. I think some of those games with higher assist totals where other guys are really looking for him, he can create his own shot in some instances, but he really wasn't getting the ball uh, out on the perimeter a lot. And a number of times when Illinois wasn't playing a zone, they basically used the guy who was supposed to be guarding Al Durham and, and Zach McRoberts and kind of had them just, you know, camp out in the lane or at least hang out and kind of run at Romeo or run at Juwan when they got the ball. So uh, I, at least on a few possessions, noticed that. So I think there wasn't a ton of space for him to operate uh, in down there, but did get to the line uh, a decent number of times. I thought probably, you know, the one sequence where I think he ended up making the basket uh, on, on maybe his third attempt, you know, I thought he got fouled on maybe all three shots that he took when he was down there. But uh, you know, I, I think a, an overall, a, a solid game for him. It wasn't one though, where they were able to really set him up as the focal point and dump the ball into him and have him, uh, you know, be the one passing out and creating for others. And I think the low assist total uh, is certainly evidence of that. So, uh, but still solid performance and, and really it was, you know, kind of a two man show for the, for the most part during the game. Ryan, do you have thoughts on Juwan? The key for Juwan six of eight at the free throw line. He's going to get fouled a lot. And he was six of six before he got hurt, uh, right? He yeah. missed those two after he got hurt and free throws. A lot of it comes from your legs. So that's not surprising. I did notice, has he always done that sideways thing where he turns almost completely sideways? At the no, line? I think that, I think I, that's I one of the adjustments that's, he yeah. talked about that he made. Yeah. Okay, because it looks completely different. I was just making sure I hadn't missed that all year. Uh, but yeah, the shot doctor know that. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. I was like, I didn't miss that, did I? Like, so that it looks completely different. Um, but whatever you got to adjust and and make work here, uh, we're good with it as long as you make a free throw. So six of eight from the free throw line for him, which was big. Uh, four of nine from the field, which is rare for him to be under fifty percent, but. That was, uh, he made it work for him. And I, I thought he had some really nice plays. There were a couple where I thought it, that he, a couple misses he had where I thought he got fouled. So, uh, you know, and just didn't get called. The officials, to their credit, were letting a lot go, though. It was pretty even both ways. I didn't think that uh, this was a terribly poorly officiated game, except for maybe they called too many fouls. Um, but I think I think that a lot, it was, it was not lopsided one way or the other. I thought they were pretty, uh, they were letting a lot go both ways. That's the um, highest praise you've ever given an official the on the show. highest praise I will ever give an official on this show. But That was amazing. But, I mean, they're two teams who play aggressive defense, and they, they didn't call a lot because they just, you know, it went both ways. Uh, but I, I thought that, you know, Jawan had not an exceptional Jawan game as far as the offense goes, but you're right, all over the defensive uh, side of the ball. His, his fingerprints were all over that. Uh, he did a lot of really good hedging on screens and then reversing back to his man in the post. And even early with those post moves, I mean, at some point, if a guy's bigger than you and he has a hook shot like that, there's not really much you can do other than try and establish better position. But Juwan's not going to take that foul early, sh trying to shove a guy off the block. So I, I thought that, you know, they, you know, you just sometimes have to give up those hooks in the lane if a guy's going to get it off over top of you. It's going to happen. There's not really much you can do to defend that. You can not get beat off the dribble from the perimeter, which happened once to Juwan, and I'm sure he's going to be embarrassed about uh, when it comes to film tomorrow. But in general, oh yeah, that was bad. <laughs> a, a really, nice, yeah, he was flat footed and he was looking for a pass, and the guy drove, and he just, you know, uh, he wasn't looking. And uh, but the ten rebounds were incredibly important late, as as Andy said, and it just seemed like every key rebound he was grabbing, and that's what he does, and I think that's what uh, you know you expect from a guy like that. And Andy, let's close this segment talking about Devontae Green a little bit more because one of the big storylines coming in was, you know, no Rob Finnessy. How is Devontae going to handle this pressure? 
And, you know, three assists, you know, but he had the four turnovers. I'm not sure that even the four turnovers is necessarily indicative of some of the poor decisions. Maybe you combine that with the eight missed shots uh, and, you know, some, including the airballed layup that he had that was really strange. It, you know, as we mentioned he earlier. fouled on that. They didn't call it. Well, I don't know. I mean, uh, I look, I am just saying, I'm not defending his shot selection, but on that one. Well, there were there there were several of those down there. But su- suffice it to say, a rough night for Devontae. And as we mentioned, this, you know, kind of a matchup that it, it kind of forces him to overthink a little bit. And, and and so anyway, some of the gains that we saw the last couple of games didn't translate here. You know, more of kind of the, the up and down nature. He will have to be much, much better at Michigan, obviously, you know, with Xavier Simpson guarding him for Indiana to have a chance in that game. He's capable of it, but he's going to have to, you know, at, at some point he's going to have to try and combine the natural way he plays with playing the way Archie wants to play. And tonight I thought he just got discombobulated because it's like when he tried to play that way, he was indecisive. And when he tried to do Devonte things, he wasn't able to convert. And that ended up being overall a, re- a pretty poor performance for him tonight. Yeah, I think on the defensive end, um, I-, I thought he did fine. And, and I think yeah. it was really more on the offensive side of things. So I'll, I'll focus there. I, you know, the first half, he takes eight shots. The only guy, you know, took more than anybody and, and twice, at least twice as many as anybody that wasn't Romeo. Like that just is not the recipe for for him or the team to really be successful. So he reined that in. Uh, a bit in the second half. I just, there were a couple times that I, you know, wrote down uh, about, you know, too much dribbling. And and there was a couple, um, you know, even in the second half, they had built that eight point lead. They've got the ball. He, they hadn't taken a three and I don't even know how long. And he took one really early in the shot clock. And then late in the game, he took that wild shot in the lane, then turned it over trying to throw it cross court. I, I'll, I'll give him a break for, um, you know, the, the turnover where there was a 10 second call because nobody came back to help him out. I mean, at some point you can't retreat dribble anymore, but, but I, I don't put that one on him as much as it was that nobody came back for him to, to really help him out. But I just thought the decision-making as much as anything was the, was the issue. It's, you know, he's going to take shots and I think that's fine, but um, I just thought his shot selection in the first half. And again, just that understanding of this is how this team is going to be successful in this game. Um, just didn't seem to to have that very well in the first half. I thought did a little bit better within the second half. You know, only took three shots, missed all of them. Um, you know, just some of the turnovers, the decision making there was uh, was a concern. And as you said, that becomes you know those kinds of things, while challenging against a team that really wants to get out and pressure you, are magnified in a team that is going to be able to capitalize on your mistakes a lot better than Illinois was. Um, and so walking into a game with you know Xavier Simpson and things like that, I think it'll be interesting to see. One, how he responds, and two, how much we see Romeo trying to initiate the offense. He's going to have, you know, a challenging matchup with Charles Matthews of his own. So um, I'm not sure there's a great option in either of those scenarios, quite frankly. But um, it, it was, it, it certainly doesn't make you feel any better about going into the Michigan game without Rob Finnessy. Not that you're going to feel that good to begin with, but um, certainly doesn't make you feel great heading into that, um, you know, based on some of the decision making tonight. Ryan? Yeah, I, I think that it was an up and down game for Devontae as we've seen all year. I thought he did some positive things. I thought he did some negative things. I thought defensively he was very good. I thought he was communicating well, and I thought he was kind of getting everybody set, and I thought he played high-pressure defense on the perimeter. I thought he had a good game defensively. Offensively, you're, you guys are right. Uh, it was a struggle, and uh, a guy like 
Devontae, if he's going to take those shots, he's got to knock some of them down. I thought two of the shots in the lane he got fouled on, they didn't call. Again, they didn't call some stuff both ways. I can't really be too upset about it. But one of them was an airball teardrop that he absolutely got hammered on that they didn't call. And then another was a, a layup where he was in the lane and, and missed it. And I thought he got fouled as well. Again, that's going to happen. I mean, you can't. But I, but I just think that it looks like he took worse shots than he did in some cases. In some cases, he did take bad shots. And a couple of the threes, he took one where he was wide open in the corner in the first half. You should take that. And he missed it. Uh, second half, I agree. He took some He took some shots that he shouldn't have taken. Um, both halves, really. And, and a guy like him, if he's going to take those shots and he's going to pull it and, and shoot a three quickly or something, you got to make it. You have to make that shot or there's no defending it. Uh, if you feel like, hey, I'm confident I can knock this down and you knock it down, we can't sit here on the postgame show and say anything about it because if you knock it down, you're, you should have taken that shot. So We learned that uh, with Yogi. Exactly. I mean, because he would take shots. Again, he would take shots and nobody else would take and he would make it. I will say that a couple of things Devontae does, and again, it reminds me so much of Troy Williams. There's just things he does that other guys on the team don't do, like some of the passes he makes into the post that nobody else is willing to attempt. He had two great post feeds to Deron Davis that Incredible. led to a couple buckets or a bucket and, and, and a free throw. And and nobody else can do that. You know, could have done this that on this team. It is thread the pass through what he threaded it through to get him to get to run those balls. But again, I think that our best opportunity or our best situation with this team is him playing off the ball when he's in, because then you don't get the long stretches of just dribbling and pounding it up and down. So maybe against Michigan, as Andy said, you have Romeo operating the offense from the top and Devontae running off screens to try to be that. But again, Devontae being the point guard for 33 minutes. That's not what we expected this year. Yep. So he's doing something we didn't expect him to do. All right. Coming up in our final segment, we hand out our game ball, hit any other storylines that we haven't hit yet. And then in last call, we will deliver our final thoughts on Indiana's victory over Illinois. That is next here on the assembly call. Stick with us. Listening to the Assembly Call IU postgame show. I'm Jared Morris here with Andy Bottoms and Ryan Phillips, wrapping up our breakdown of Indiana's victory over Illinois. And by the way, if you are listening on the radio, the postgame show is doubling as Assembly Call Radio this week, and this segment's probably going to go long, so it'll probably get cut off. So if you want to hear the entire thing, you can go to assemblycall.com, listen to the podcast, or go to YouTube, and you can listen to the whole thing there as well. All right, gentlemen, uh, this is the point in the show where we hand out our game balls uh, coming into tonight. I believe uh, Juwan has four, Romeo has four, Duran has two, Rob has one, Devante has one. Um, Juwan might have five. I'm not sure if I updated that. But either way, it's that that's about what it is. I Would think you tonight's... You do some pre-game research, Jared. <laughs> Don't talk about pre-game preparation to me. <laughs> um, let's. I think this is going to be pretty easy tonight. Uh, I think Romeo Langford is the pretty obvious choice for game ball tonight. That's who I'm giving mine to. Uh, Ryan, you going with yeah, Romeo or are you going off the board? It's Romeo, 28.6 rebounds, three assists, only two turnovers, uh, 11 to 15 at the line, uh, played 37 minutes. You got to give it to Romeo. There's no question on this one. This is a pretty easy one. Yep. Andy, just to confirm it. Yeah. Yeah. Along the lines of uh, Juwan's triple-double, that was an easy one to give it to him. This is an easy one to give it to Romeo. I thought he he really led the turnaround uh, and his, you know, attacking the basket really set the tone for everybody uh, during that key stretch we talked about earlier. So that's an easy one. 
Hey, surprise, surprise. Coach Tonsoni in the chat wants to give the game ball to Archie for giving the ball to Romeo. Fair point. You know, that this was an, kind of an interesting game for Archie because I thought obviously those adjustments were good. We also had some really bad possessions out of timeouts. There was the one where we got the shot clock violation out of a timeout. The, the play with Devontae that you mentioned, Andy, where he got the backcourt violation, that was out of a timeout. So not the, uh, the, the crispness on the sets that we have sometimes seen from Indiana out of timeouts. Um, but... Certainly, Archie navigated Indiana's slow start, which he expected and predicted on the pregame show with Fish, and was able to make the adjustments Indiana needed to, to get the win that, that they needed to get. Let's use some of our extra time here in the game ball segment to talk a little bit about Al Durham, who we haven't talked a lot about. You know, he didn't play as much as he otherwise would have because he picked up the four fouls. The thing that I liked from Al tonight is he went to the basket aggressively. You know, he didn't he didn't take a three. He didn't settle for any outside shots. You know, he got fouled. He was able to to get himself six free throws. You know, knock down a couple important ones late. He's and really, the most reliable free throw shooter on the team right he now. He is. Well, you know, and he finished through contact a couple of times down low too. And that's when he's playing at his best. He's going to the basket. You know, he's kind of going north south. This was a good game for that. And so. You know, I thought in, in, you know, in some ways he struggled the fouls. Obviously, he didn't get any assists, all of that. But offensively, from a scoring perspective, we saw tonight from Al him kind of assuming the role that he needs to assume to be more effective, which is not just hanging around being a floor spacer. I mean, he's going to have to knock down some threes, but he's got to pick his spots and go to the hole because Romeo is obviously next level at it. But Al's pretty good at it, too. And so I think we need to find opportunities for him to be able to do that. And he was able to find them tonight. And that was nice to see, Andy. Yeah, I thought I was interested to see how he would play tonight, particularly when they took Devontae off the floor. And I think the first time they did that in the first half, like Illinois came out and pressed pretty immediately. And, you know, we talked about some of those matchups with Al where he can struggle is where they get really physical with him. And that, I think that he ended up getting them called for a foul because it was basically like two guys mugging someone uh, at some point once he crossed the timeline. But they really did try to get physical with him. I thought he responded yep. uh, a bit better, as you said, really uh, went to the basket more. And I think you know, his, his arms are so long, he can make some, you know, kind of make some angles happen going to the basket that you may not think are there, uh, in the way he can kind of, you know, contort himself and, uh, you know, get the ball up on the rim. And so I thought, you know, the free throw shooting was good and, and it, he certainly would have earned more playing time had he not gotten in foul trouble. So, you know, that's a concern from a backcourt standpoint with depth in its current situation, as we mentioned that, you know, we talk about that with Juwan where he's too valuable to not have on the court. Uh, we're getting that way with some of these guys in the backcourt as well, where if these guys get foul trouble, there's just not a lot of other places that you can turn. So uh, luckily, Zach was able to go and uh, and able to help out and pick up a little bit of the slack. But I thought a, a solid game for Al. Um, and, and I think, you know, continuing a relatively good, you know, series of games for him where he's, you know, being able to build up some confidence. I think when you look at guys like him and Justin Smith, I think these last handful of games have been uh, really positive for them in terms of, you know, being able to build their confidence heading into this this difficult stretch coming up. Well, Andy, you know, as we've talked about a lot, you know, Indiana has some solid victories on their resume. Northwestern recently fell out of the top 50 in Ken Palm, um, but, you know, five victories for Indiana uh, against teams that are in the top 50, top 51. They don't have kind of that big signature victory. They have an opportunity to get it on Sunday on the road at Michigan, uh, currently ranked number two in the AP poll, number five in Ken Palm. They really started out just like gangbusters at the start of the season. You know, have not played quite as well in December, um, but still, this is going to be an immense challenge for Indiana, made even more difficult by Rob Finnessy not being there. And Archie confirmed in his postgame press conference tonight that Rob is not going to play in that game, although he said he's getting better. So, you know, hopefully that's good news moving forward. 
But, you know, we don't have a show between now and then, so maybe give us your brief, you know, 90-second, two-minute scouting report on the Wolverines and their uh, magician of a head coach. <laughs> it's just like two minutes of me looking in terror into the camera. Is that good, or is that not going to... Okay, are they, are they that good? I mean, I guess, I guess that's my question. Like, is this nah, a game where it's like, we're just hoping to not get throttled, or is this a game where you go in and play well and you, you're going to give yourself a shot? Like, how good are they? Uh, I, You know, I... It's a little bit tough to say. I know Galen has mentioned he thinks they've been a little bit, uh, you know, overhyped compared to, uh, you know, maybe what they've actually accomplished. I, I think they were, I didn't obviously watch their game against Penn State uh, tonight, but, you know, sounded like they were a little bit sluggish coming out of that one by 13 at home um, and, and fared pretty well there. So, I, you know, I do think they're very good. I think that, you know, the challenge is they're a very tough team to defend because of how good John Beeline is. And and now that they've you know added the fact that they're you know second in the nation and adjusted defensive efficiency, it becomes uh, you know that much trickier. And I think that really is the is the question for me is is scoring. I you know I think IU's defense has been pretty solid regardless of the opponent um, over the course of the season. Michigan doesn't turn the ball over a whole lot, um, but they also you know don't don't really hit the offensive glass. Don't get to the free throw line a ton. Um, and so if IU can play well defensively, taking away three point shots, I think that's uh, a positive on that end of the floor. I think the challenge is for for IU, who has looked discombobulated at times on offense, and you know certainly there's not a ton of conference games to, to look at, but they're 11th in conference games in in offensive efficiency. That is a that is my main concern, uh, especially without you know Fennessey going in that game to kind of steady things against what's going to be uh, you know a lot of pressure. So. Um, the, the good thing is the thing that Michigan does worst on defense is forced turnovers. So that's probably the thing that IU fans would worry about the most. Uh, so, you know, maybe something to be said there, but they don't put teams on the line. They're third, uh, as I look at this now in free throw rate, um, and, and 12th in effective field goal defense. So that, that is really probably the main reason to be concerned. It's just, I, I think we've seen enough from IU where they go through these lulls offensively that, that that's the part that concerns me you know, more so than slowing down Michigan. So I'm sure they'll come out and hit 10 threes now. And I'll regret ever saying that, but uh, I do think they can hang around. I think it's a tough spot to win, but I also think it's a game where you, really nothing is expected of you. So uh, in, in contrast to a game like tonight against Illinois, where the pressure is 100% on you to go out and beat a team that's been reeling, um, there, there's really no pressure on you to win the game. I'm, I, you know, certainly we know from Archie, that's not something that he's going to want to say, but um <laughs> But there's no no pressure, no real expectation on IU to win the game. Uh, I think based on a lot of factors. So maybe they can come in and play a little bit looser than than they might normally, and and see what happens from there. Coach in the chat said he had Michigan on tonight on a separate screen, called them good but beatable. And there's a whole bunch of Chrysler Arena trash talk going on in the chat, describing it as a tomb and a mausoleum. So <laughs> well, if it's anything like what Maryland looked like last night, there are not a lot of people there. All right, now my question for you, Ryan, is this game is on Sunday. It's at 4:30 Eastern time. Is this a good time for a basketball game or a bad time? Like, can we? It's fine. <laughs> it's it's fine, Jared. It's perfectly perfectly fine. Uh, no, I think a uh, like a w- noon or one o'clock start sucks, but four p.m. If it's that's when it is, that's fine. You know, the game that we're going to IU Michigan State in March is a noon start. <laughs> oh, I, I'm I'm well aware. The hangover will not have who off. who will be more sluggish to start the game, Indiana or us? <laughs> oh me. I think it's the answer is me. Uh, but you'll oversleep yeah. and show up at three o'clock. So it's probably okay. yeah. I'll show up for the second half. That's <laughs> that's all you really need to see anyway, right? It's like the NBA. Um but no, I mean it's fine time to play. 
I don't know. I think the perfect time is like it was tonight, seven o'clock Eastern, Thursday night, maybe a Wednesday night. Perfect time. That's when people are at their best. That's what I want. I want. Are see. you? You're. Are you? You're not totally buying on Michigan, are you? Haven't you stated no. that before on the show? No, I think they're good. I certainly think they're good. I think Beeline's a fantastic coach. I just look at that team and I think it might be a team that that peaks early and and struggles down the stretch. Um, I, I like some of the players on their team. I really like how they play, but I just don't feel like they're the world beaters they've looked like. I think that they've really caught some teams on bad nights and have played above their level a lot, which is great. I mean, if you can get your team to do that, but the, I just don't feel like they're going to be able to get their team to do that all year. So we'll see now during the teeth, they get into the teeth of the Big Ten schedule. We'll see how they go. But I, I yeah, I, agree, I kind of agree with Coach. Good, but beatable. Jen in the chat, no more AC after dark. It'll be AC after lunch. Perfect. <laughs> Solid comment. Uh, you're listening to the Assembly Call IU Post Game Show. Remember that because you're an Assembly Call listener, you get 15% off your entire order at HoosierProud.com and at HomeFieldApparel.com. So if you want officially licensed IU gear, go to HomeFieldApparel.com. And if you want one of our Assembly Call logo t-shirts or one of Hoosier Proud's unique Indiana-inspired designs, visit HoosierProud.com. And on both sites, use the promo code ASSEMBLY at checkout for 15% off your entire order. All right, gentlemen. It is time for last call. Final thoughts on tonight's IU victory over Illinois. Andy, why don't you hit lead off here? Well, this was the uh, you know last layup, if there was one, uh, to be had for a little while. You know, for the next five on the road, it, it, you know things start to get uh, things start to get real pretty quickly uh, for this team now. And so um, the Michigan game will be a test, uh, and we'll I'll be interested to see how they respond. You know, given the scenario, given that they're going to be without fantasy and, and kind of see what happens there. Uh, I did watch them in Maryland last night. They were, I was more impressed with them than I thought I would be uh, watching them play Nebraska. And, and so, you know, and those are the next two, two teams up on the schedule after that. So uh, really starts a difficult run. And I think this is certainly not a make or break, uh, you know, set of games for IU, but I think how they're able to navigate these will tell us a lot, even if they don't win many of them, uh, I think will tell us what we can expect when things start to get, what at least we perceive to be more favorable down the stretch. So I, I thought tonight was just a, you know, survive and advance type of game heading into that after the layoff, uh, hopefully work some of the kinks out and, and go from there. But, uh, you know, I think we're going to learn a lot more over the next couple of weeks about this team uh, than we probably have over the last, you know, three to four weeks with some easier games and, and things like that. So uh, I'm, I'm interested to see what they can become. I, you know, like we, we feels like we said the whole time you want to see them get healthy uh, whether this team ever is healthy or not, I think uh, at this point it's starting to feel like a pipe dream. But um, I, I think interested to see how they navigate this game. Tough environment for uh, you know for Romeo. How does he respond coming off a really good game? And I think it's going to be you know on him and Juwan to lead, and uh, and hopefully the other guys can follow. Justin Smith, Al Durham can you know play well, uh, build on their their strong play of late, and and we get some steady play from Devonte. I, I do think Michigan is beatable for as much as I joked about you know staring in in horror. Uh, they're definitely beatable. I, I don't think they are as explosive offensively as some of the beeline teams normally would be. So they're not going to be able to, you know, kind of run away from you. You wouldn't think, um, but it will certainly be a challenge. And I'm interested to see how, how IU plays now that they've got these three big 10 wins under their belt, which, uh, you know, is a big deal. I, we talk about, there's no gimmies in the big 10 at this point this season. So you've got three of the 20 out of the way and you've gotten wins in, in the games that you really would, you know, earmark as ones that you have to win, need to win, should win. Um, so that to me is a positive. Um, this team's really navigated all of those kinds of games well uh, over the course of the season. So 
that's positive. And uh, for the next five away from the friendly confines of Assembly Hall and uh, see how uh, IU survives that stretch and, and go from there. Ryan, your last call on Indiana's victory over Illinois or or your potting shot on Steve Alford as coach at UCLA since we haven't had a show <laughs> since then. By the way, uh, what, what time did he text us, Andy, the night Alfred got fired? Like one thirty in the morning, mm-hmm. our time, at wanting to do an emergency show. <laughs> yeah, it was. Yeah, it was not. It was not early. Um, uh, yeah, I woke uh, up. I was like, "What is this?" <laughs> so what happened that night was I got a text from my UCLA source that said at like eleven thirty at night it said Alfred's going to be gone in about a half hour. They're working out the buyout, and they've been working on it for a couple hours, but he finally realized it was going to get done, and so. I had to stay up all night waiting for the announcement that, you know, waiting for it to come. And finally came by the time I'd written all, written my story and all that other stuff. And then I wrote five candidates. So it was a long night for me. I had to write five candidates for the UCLA job. And after I was done with all that, I texted these two and said, yeah, it was, it was two 30 AM Eastern time. I looked at <laughs> yeah, right. it was something like that. It was, yeah, no, actually. So I guess I texted you guys right when I started. Cause I wound up being up really late that night, West coast time. Um, but yeah, it was, yeah. Oh, God, I love being right all the time. Um, oh, I do I do remember that, though, a couple of years ago when Indiana was doing a coaching search and there was a large percentage of people who said, bring Steve Alford home. It's not a large. It was a vocal there, minority. There I don't was, think it was large. Dude, you did not see my mentions then on Twitter. Uh, there was a, well, you know what? I will say that's, this. that's selection bias, small, small, you might, it might be a small bit, but there was a lot of people who were like, you know what? I think that'd be okay. And we're kind of on the fence on it. And we're like, well, he's, he's, he's a really good recruiter and he's getting all these guys and he's a terrible coach and he's always been a terrible coach. And that has played out. And, uh, I'm so glad that Indiana did not fall into that trap of, Go and get the IU guy. No, you go and get the best coach. That's what you do. And they did the right thing. So thank you. Yeah, there you go. You're welcome, Archie. Um, but what I'll say about this game is it, it's past, as Andy said, and now you're really going to learn about this team. You've got four of the next five on the road. You've got some tough opponents. This is the toughest stretch in the schedule. I think we'd all agree with that. Uh, and, you know, top to bottom. That from the beginning of the year on, this was the toughest stretch. We looked at it at the beginning of the year and thought, okay, yeah, we're going to learn something about this team. And, th- and that's what we're going to do over the next couple of games. So f- happy fun time is over. It's it's time for the nitty gritty. And this is where it's going to get real for this team. So uh, we'll see what happens over the next uh, couple of weeks. But this team's got to get healthy and they got to play well. And I think it might be a, a point if they're already saying finishing isn't going to play against Michigan, maybe they're even looking past that to say, look, we're, we're going to give our best shot to Michigan, but we're gearing up for the games after that that we think we really can and need to win. And uh, that might be what's going on here. And, and we'll, we'll definitely see what happens. But uh, it's going to be a tough one on Sunday, but we'll be here. It is. We will be here. Join us after that game. Uh, I think Coach is going to be making his triumphant return to uh, to the assembly call. So that'll be uh, that'll be nice. We'll be here. Nice win for Indiana tonight. Obviously, great to see Romeo. Uh, you know, step out, score twenty eight points, set a new career high. Hopefully, that is a harbinger of things to come as he embarks on uh, on Big Ten play. Indiana will certainly need it, um, and uh, hopefully he can do some of that on Sunday against Michigan. All righty, well, that will do it for us on this edition of the Assembly Call IU Postgame Show. If you want to see us do the show live and be part of the live chat, make sure you subscribe to our YouTube channel, youtube.com slash assemblycall. You can also subscribe to our podcast by searching for Assembly Call wherever you listen to podcasts. And don't forget to go to assemblycall.com or text IU to 66866 to join our free email newsletter. Thank you for listening. We will be back after the IU-Michigan game on Sunday to break it all down. Until then, keep your elbows in and your eyes on the rim. 
Go Hoosiers. Thank everybody for coming out. All right, I got to get out of here, folks. Thank you. Thank you for being here and for listening to this episode of The Assembly Call. We appreciate it. And we really do rely on the support of audience members like you to keep our show going and to keep growing. And so we have set up a page on our website at assemblycall.com slash support that lists five ways that you can support The Assembly Call. And we encourage you to choose whichever method is the easiest and most convenient for you. One of the methods is donating, and so many of you have donated, and we appreciate it so much. On that page, you can choose a monthly recurring donation or an annual recurring donation or just a one-time donation, whatever works for you. And if you don't want to donate, another way to support the show is you can use our affiliate URLs, iutickets.shop or iustore.shop when you're going to shop for tickets or gear, and we will get paid a small commission when you use those links. But however you support the show... We appreciate it. Thank you. Sticky notes, email alerts, a string around your finger. They're just not big enough. So here's a big reminder from the California Lottery. Tonight's Mega Millions jackpot is over $250 million. Play now. Please play responsibly. Must be 18 years or older to purchase player client. Let me be straight with you. This is a radio commercial for three small business insurance. With three, your entire business is covered. So while you can't see the following scene, just know that this contractor's business is protected by three. Hey, toss me that drill. Yeah, man. Heads up. Oh, that looks expensive. Now this is an insurance moment. But three's got it covered. Three is a product of Berkshire Hathaway Direct Insurance Company. Three, no nonsense, just common sense. Look around. You can find cars like these on AutoTrader. Like that car riding right your tail. Or if you're tailgating right now, all those cars doubling as kitchens and living rooms are on Auto Trader too. Are you working out and listening to this ad at the same time? Well, multitasking pro, cars like the ones in the gym parking lot are for sale on Auto Trader. New cars, used cars, electric cars, maybe even flying cars. Okay, no flying cars, but as soon as they get invented, they'll be on Auto Trader. Just you wait. Auto Trader.